We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey everybody, what's up? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. Welcome to the other side of hell. What yeah. is happening? Yeah. <laughs> what What is happening? What, what's happening with you? I'll just, nothing new. No. Yeah. And then I, I don't know, no news is good news, I guess. Like just still maintaining that routine. Yeah, well it's easier said than yeah. done sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess now that you mention it, like I get a, I get a little case of the, the winter blues. Right, we talked about that. Every year, yeah. And then I think there's something wrong with me. Like, I, I, I feel that as well. Like I'm broken. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's easy to feel broken, right? Yeah. Broken. I have a, I have this, uh, this, this, this uh, sense of always wanting to catastrophize. Yeah. I just want to, like the sky is always falling. Yeah. Like the worst of the worst is going to happen. If I, if, if I have the sniffles, it's coronavirus. <laughs> or cancer. And, yeah, and, or worse. And it's going to kill me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and so I I get it, man. And and on top of that, I'm an alcoholic. I I used to drink alcoholically, and you know, with all that stuff, I got to kind of sometimes back up and take a look at what the underlying issue is, and mm-hmm. and figure out what's really going on and why. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> a great segue. <laughs> um. Yeah, man. I want to I want to talk today about underlying issues. I think uh, perfect un- underlying issues. Like what what do we mean when when we say that? Like let's just uh, let's pretend for a second that I've never been to a twelve step meeting. I've never been to uh, to anything related to, yeah, to that, that was the case at one time, right? Yeah. And, and what did, what do we mean when we say underlying issues? Yeah. Explain it to us. Well, uh, I, the the cause and condition of the way that I'm behaving or you know, feeling, you know, what is, what is going on at a deeper level that's causing this behavior or action in my life, this feeling, this, Mm -hmm. this, you know, whatever it is, you know, um, I, is what I would say. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, what, uh, when, when we were first, you know, in treatment or, or first trying to get the help that we needed in order to get sober, it was really easy to think that our only problem was the drugs and alcohol, yeah, right? the drink. And that if we remove the drugs and alcohol, that everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once we were able to remove the drugs and alcohol, a lot of times we we were able to see that that wasn't necessarily the case. Right. And that, that drinking and using wasn't actually the problem, it was the solution. Right. It was the solution to the way that we felt inside. It was it was helping us, you know, with our day to day, and obviously at some point that took a turn, and and you know it became became the thing that was killing us <laughs> right. and hurting us the most. But like when we're able to get sober and get down the road a ways, we we then you know get to a point where we get to really address those underlying issues. Like, yeah. What what was really going on? Um, my my favorite thing to think about is. You know, we we really were able to to understand, you know, why we drink the way that we do, 
right? And and what what I was able to to decide is, you know, I I drink the way that I I do because I'm an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. And and what that means is that I don't drink the same way that other people drink. Like I obsess, I crave, and once I have the first drink, then it's off to the races, right? right? Then that that compulsion takes over, and I'm no longer in in charge, right? right. And so that's that's the way that I drink. And the why I drink. Why I choose to drink is, is something different. Yeah, why entirely. do I take the first one? Right, exactly. Right. And so that's what we're looking at, and that's what we're addressing when we, when we talk about underlying issues. Right. And so for you, like when, when we talk about that, like can you give us an example of some underlying issues? Sure. Sure. For, for me, you know, I've been able to dissect, you know, my alcoholism, my behavior pretty extensively. You know, um, I've mentioned several times that, that my mission in life is to know myself well. Mm-hmm. I want to know me really well. And I'm willing to go to those dark places. And I'm really willing to admit some things that some people may not. You know, it, it, even if if the way that I see my life, the way that it turned out, hurts people's feelings, you know, because of certain experiences, you know, especially with like family members and stuff. They don't want to hear the way that their behavior affected me negatively from time to time, you know, even though that's the way that I remember or, or whatever. But for me, a lack of trust and authority was a huge underlying issue for Mm. me. You know, um, I was a sensitive kid and I was really loving, you know, I was was my mom's cuddle baby, all, all those things, you know, and, and, uh, the, the circumstances of, of my life, like, put me in a position where I couldn't trust the adults in my life. Like I'd watch them behave in certain ways that weren't in line with what they were telling me to behave. You know, they weren't, they weren't following up with their own rules. And, and I could see through all that bullshit, not just my parents, but teachers, you know, uh, older siblings, you know, all these older people that I was trying to learn how to live from were breaking their own rules. And when, uh, I was, you know, in maybe seven or eight, nine years old, somewhere in there. Uh, I went to this grocery store and I was already stealing by that time, right? I was already taking shit that wasn't mine to try to fill the void that was already created within me. And uh, the, I knew one of the workers there. He lived in the trailer park. And so we, um, there, was, there was another couple of kids that I didn't know that were stealing, Right. And this guy, he, he's like, Hey, he, he, he pulls us aside and he's like, Hey, these other kids are stealing and we're going to bust them in a little bit. And I was like, oh, I don't want that to happen to those kids. And so I went over and I found those kids that were stealing and I'm like, Hey, these guys are watching you and they know that you're stealing. And so I would put it back and like, let's get out of here. And so they put the stuff back and then we left and they still had some other shit. Like, I didn't know how much stuff they had. They still stole some stuff. But we left and uh, went behind the building and started smoking. You know? and, and I found trust in a negative crowd, mm. right? And so mm. we were all doing kind of negative. I don't, I don't know if negative is the right word, but we were all doing this, this behavior. And we trusted each other at a level that we didn't get from, from adults, 
you know, because the adults were doing all the same shit and telling us not to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, your, your example there is, is very specific as far as, uh, is, is, you know, one incident in your many, many <laughs> stories of, of, you know, trust issues, right? I got some trust issues. Yeah. And I know another one that you've shared with me is like, um, you know, your parents, when they told you about Santa Claus, yeah, lied to me yeah. straight up and, and the trauma that sort of came from that. And I think that that's, that's one of maybe the most common underlying issues that we may find is that, you know, like we were drinking because of some sort of trauma that we experienced and, and, um, you know, one thing that's important for me to remember is like, I'm not here to, to tell anybody like what was or was not trauma for them. Right? right. Like if somebody tells me of something traumatic, like it's not my job to say that's, that's <laughs> bullshit. Like that's right. nothing, you know, like, because I've had certain things that have happened to me that seem so trivial, but they happened to me at, at a very, you know, very awkward age. Yeah. Crucial point. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that having that happen, at a certain time in your life can really make, you know, a, a huge impact on the way that you perceive the world or the way that you behave when interacting with people and, and really totally alter how you see, see things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like it wasn't until like I, you know, was able to sober up and really take a look at my life and say, okay, why am I, why, why am I drinking the way that I am? And, and I was able to look at certain things in my life, like my relationships, my job, my career, you know, my living situation, my circumstances, you know, there and really say, okay, like, what is it that I'm not happy with? And it turns out like none of it, none of it was making me happy. You know? right. And because of that, it was like, it was just all an excuse to drink. And so Obviously, when I removed the drink, my job situation, my career situation, you know, my relationship situation, none of that really changed. Mm -hmm. Like the way that I was able to handle that stuff changed dramatically. But I had to really look at that stuff and say, okay, like, what am I prepared to do about it? And it was a process to really sort of, you know, to understand what it was that 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 was affecting. Like, because at the root of it all for me, like was just this low sense of self-worth. Right. You know, like I've just got this, this, you know, this vision of myself that I'm not worth like a career that I want. I'm not worth the effort that it takes to, to have all the things that I really want, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and where that comes from, you know, is, is something I've been able to look at and examine and really try and decide like, you know, it may come from the relationship I had with my father growing up, you know, or, or something like that. Um, in my case, that's, I think that's exactly what it is, you know? Um, but just as an example, that's like one of the underlying issues that I was able to then look at, you know, once I was able to sober up and, and, you know, to that end, like, what do you think the purpose of looking at that stuff is? What do I think the purpose of looking at the underlying issues is? Yeah. I think it's to, to, to heal. Like, like if I want to heal, which I do, I want to heal from, from my past so that I don't repeat the same old behavior and I don't 
pass this negative uh, lifestyle on to the people that I love, right? Um, I want to heal because when I'm not the fullest version of myself, everyone is affected by it. And, and when I am the full version of myself, everyone is affected by it. And so um, I've been put on a, on a path of discovery. And so I feel fortunate and I feel obligated to really dig deep and find out what it is that is going to make me the best version of myself and f- have a fulfilled life so that at the end of the day, you know, when I, when I boil it all down to what it is I really want is, is I want to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that's today, mm-hmm. you know, that's after, you know, nine years of, of recovery, like, like working on this stuff day in and day out for nine years, wanting to get to know myself at a very deep level, you know, I want to feel safe and I want the people in my life to feel safe around me. And so looking at these underlying issues and understanding what they are, where they came from or what happened or, or, um, you know, how to, how to stop placing blame or, or holding on to resentments because of it, you know, all the things that keep us sick within the realm of our past, right? Like, like healing from that stuff is just the, the ultimate way of showing self love mm-hmm. and to a point where, you know, your life is going to be fulfilled and, and hopefully feel safe from time to time. And most of the time I feel safe today. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I think the crucial thing is that by, by looking at that stuff and dealing with it and, and hopefully healing from it, um, you know, we're, we're then less likely to return to that negative yeah. behavior. Yeah, for sure. And that negative behavior served us so well for so long, not, not in actually fixing the problem, but in avoiding the problem. Right. And I think that, you know, our, our, uh, our survival patterns are to just naturally avoid anything that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And dealing with that shit is, is uncomfortable. Like there's certain things about myself that I don't like looking at. I certainly don't like sharing it with people. Right. And I don't like talking about it. And and that's the stuff that I have to do in order to begin healing. Yeah. And without that healing, I'm more apt to just turn to something else. Like mm-hmm. we've talked about it so many times on the show where it's like, I, I put down the bottle, I pick up the fork. Right. You know, I, I, I put down the fork and pick up the phone, pick up the phone, I, you know, or the credit card or whatever All of it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like insert your advice here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like it, it's it's behooth of me. I like to say that word. <laughs> it's I fun. I don't get to say it very often. It's behooth of me to to take a look at this stuff because, you know, if if I want to be the highest version of myself, if I want to be somebody that can go out and help others, if I want to be somebody that that carries a message of hope and optimism, then it's it's in my best interest to look at that stuff and deal with it. Mm -hmm. And how many times have we seen people that will come into the rooms and the term that they use in, in AA or NA or any 12 step meeting is white knuckling it. Right. So for, for those of us that might know, not know what that is, can you explain what that is? It's white knuckling. It is like just bearing it as best you can without like doing any relieviating work. I guess, you know, kind of going at it alone, taking the hardest path possible, you know, just holding on as tight as you Mm -hmm. can to whatever it is you're trying to let go of without, you know, doing the the work that it's needed to, to 
release it. Right. You know, it's, it's like just not holding drinking. on. Yeah. 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 Just holding on to all that shit because, you know, I mean, let's be honest. If the, the, the truth is in, in, in my world, the way that I see it is as a man, you know, there's certain, you know, stigmas that come along with it. And one of them is like, and it, it's getting better, but one of them is, you know, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about your past. You don't talk about the things that scare you, your fears. Yeah. You don't need help with anything. Everything should, should be able to, you should be able to handle it all alone. Uh, you should be definitely be good with your finances. You should be good with your diet, not have any vices, be able to control all your emotions, not, you know, not question your sexuality or, um, you know, you, you stand up, you fight for what you believe in and, be nice, but also fuck everybody that doesn't agree with you. And it's, it gets real dicey. Right. And so, um, we have to come to a place where like you have to do the work to decide of what kind of person you want to be and then move forward into the action that takes you there. And it's one thing to be able to do this work. It's another thing to be able to do this work in a, in a manner that you're able to teach someone else to be able to do this work too. Um, for me, the, the biggest payoff for all this stuff is teaching another man how to how to go through and address his own his, his own trauma in a manner that works for him based off of my experience right so if I can if I can get a message that is clear and I can draw a map of how I dissected from when I finally stopped drinking to when I started drinking and see what what happened in my life that made that first drink, uh, that first alcoholic drink work for me, right? Because yeah, I don't... What, what made it so relieving? Yeah, right? And it's 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 a fucking lot of thinking, bro. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of facing a lot of shit, you know? It's a lot of admitting. It's a lot of letting go of, of things that have happened and happened to you and things that you've done that have affected other people because... Another underlying issue is just shame, you know, sure. like I've, I've dealt with living in that shame of, of the way that I treated the people that loved me or, or lied to them or took from them or, you know, all those things. And so shame is a, is a big underlying issue for alcoholism, mm-hmm. suicide, um, mm-hmm. depression, you know, shame is connected to all that. And so you take lack of trust, you know, pile on a little bit of shame along Along with some low self-esteem, you know, butter it up with some some alcoholism, throw it in the oven and, and you know, cook it for 30 years, pull out a fucking disaster cake. <laughs> yeah. And it's no wonder, you know, like you want you want to eat that cake with the, with a side of, you know, Jack yeah. Daniels or whatever it is, you know, like, uh, it makes it easier to digest. Right. Yeah. Like it. it we, we talk about, you know, like, and I'm glad you brought it up, like depression and anxiety. And, and, and these are all things that, you know, like, for whatever reason, like, you know, it, it, it almost doesn't matter the reason until you're actually forced to deal with it. But for whatever reason, we have these things that, that are that, that are a part of the way that we're the way that we're made. Right. Right. And we have found that alcohol or drugs have relieved that the sting that comes from those things. And, and, yeah. and we're all self-medicating that way. Yeah. And so, you know, it's important once we're able to remove it because I did, dude, I thought that like, 
I thought that was the only problem I had. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought that if I could just get rid of the drinking that, you know, that everything would magically get better. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I don't want to say, like, it did, sort of, right? It, well. I mean, it at least became more hopeful, mm -hmm. right? Like, I began to have confidence that I could change those other things as well. Because I didn't, I didn't think, like, obviously, alcohol and drugs were a solution for a very, very long time. But eventually, they became another problem just another one of the things that I'm doing that I can't seem to get out of. Mm -hmm. And once I was actually able to put down the bottle to put down the pills, you know, then I'm, I'm looking at all the other areas in my life and saying, okay, like what, what else have I been wrong about? Right. Like, you know, I didn't think that I would be able to sober up. Like maybe I can change my career. Maybe I, I can address all that other stuff that I'm completely unhappy with, you know? Maybe I can actually look into my past and and find out why I have this incredible sense of self worth, right. or you know, like low low self worth. Right. And and you know, like it it really was, you know, the twelve steps for me that sort of opened the door to looking at all that stuff. It's a good start. Yeah, exactly. Like it it helped me. I don't want to say it helped me become comfortable doing that stuff but it helped me be okay addressing the uncomfortableness yeah. that came from looking at all that stuff yeah. you know and it was a great introduction to to doing that sort of work mm -hmm. and i think in 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 your opinion like what are some of the things that you have to you have to have in order to address those under well I, I think i think you know going to what you were saying I, it's a great example <clears throat> you know the 12 steps was was so paramount in my life and one of the things that i needed was another man mm. an example mm, of, yeah. of what what could happen right like like he he was the example of what it was like and what it's like now right because he was open and vulnerable and honest and he had the same you know trust issue self-esteem stuff you know Poor with you know just everything in his life was a mess he was he was a biker the guy that walked me through he was like he owned the he owned the biker club for for the uh biker gang that he ran with at that time when he first got sober and he, he kind of gave all that stuff up and so he was a gang member and an alcoholic and a drug dealer and he was violent and he was all the things that i was mm. and when he got sober and, and he wasn't those things when I got sober. Right. right. And so having that example and him being able to take a guy like me, see me for what I was and what I could be. And then being able to walk me through that one step at a time at my pace with encouragement and, and, and all those things, um, was huge. And so, what ended up coming out of it was, you know, the pain, the pain of staying the same becomes so great. Mm -hmm. Right. When we're on that, when we're at that jumping off point and like recognizing that nothing in my life is working, you know, the violence, self-violence, violence towards other people, alcoholism, drugs, sex, dealing drugs, running, all those things worked at one time, right? 
And I tried to make those fucking things work way past their due date. Sure. Way past their due date. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when the drugs stop working and the alcohol stops working and the self-harm stops working and the sex stops working and the food doesn't work and, and looking yourself in the mirror and telling yourself the lie that you're okay and, and nothing is fucking working, which is where I was at. Right. Knowing that I didn't want to die, but knowing that I couldn't move forward. I became willing to take direction from another person and say, you know, maybe there's another way. Maybe mm -hmm. there's another option. And maybe it starts with me trusting this other person to do the work that he's telling me to do. Mm -hmm. You know, one, admit that you're an alcoholic. Why do I admit that I'm an alcoholic? Because when I use and I drink, I cannot stop. And it doesn't matter what I have going on in my life. Historically, I use and I drink no matter what. Right. And for the first time in my life, I was willing to put the shit down and listen and put pen to paper and go, OK, this is what powerless looks like. Mm -hmm. It's me drinking against my will against all costs. Right. When everything inside of me is saying, don't fucking do this again. Don't do this again. Right. And I could hear that voice and I would go with the action of obsession inside of me and drink anyway. Oh, yeah. Yep. Fucking dark place. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. It Painful. Sure is. Yeah. Well, and, and, and what I really appreciated about that is just the, the idea that we, we accepted the fact that we might be broken. Yeah. Right. Like, we, <laughs> great point. Yeah. Like we accepted the fact that, that our thinking was, was defective. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I am broken. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm broken. And here's the other part is it's okay. Ooh. You know, because came later, but yeah, yeah, it, it takes a while to get there. But the one, the one thing that I had faith in, you know, was I can't tell you like how, how good it was and how sort of relieving it was. And I won't say that, that this happened all at once, but how relieving it was to be in a meetings of alcohol, alcoholics anonymous and, and hear people talk and know that they they know how i feel mm -hmm. like they like their thinking is like my thinking yeah and and maybe that's okay like it's okay that i think the way i do because they think the way i do and and they're okay right you know and and it really became great to know that i wasn't alone like i'm not the only person that thinks this way and it feels like that at first, oh. unless in, unless you're around other people that feel that way. Right. It feels like you are fucked. We are all alone at first, <laughs> you know. Like, and 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 I think that to a certain extent, like that's the way I wanted it. You know, like mm. I want I wanted to be alone. I didn't want like just just leave me here in my self loathing. Like you don't understand. You won't. There's no way you could possibly know what it's like to be me. Like, yeah, just leave me behind. Yeah, just leave me behind. Like, just let me be here, and it's okay. Go on, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and and you know, getting into a meeting and looking around and seeing, you know, all these different types of people who I normally would not mix, right? Who, right. Who normally would not mix, um, and really just being like, wow, that that dude knows how I feel. Like, despite you know his upbringing, despite you know his economic status, like he definitely thinks the way I do. Yeah. Like it turns out like I'm broken. So is he. And that's the one thing we have in common. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even say anything. Right. Yeah. That guy started talking and I started identifying. Right. And, and, and that place is so cool because 
you see, you see the overweight woman over here that's not saying anything, and then you see the the plumber over here that won't shut up, and you see this guy with a big smile on his face, and you see the newcomer coming in that's that's shaking. You see the guy that's never worked a step in his life but has all the answers. And you see the, the humble person over there that's worked all the steps and has helped five million people out and gotten them all sober but says, you know, just and, – and it's such a mix of, of different things. And as they start sharing, one by one, I identify a little bit with everybody in that room, right? Everybody in that room is experiencing either something that happened to me physically on this plane – or emotionally on this plane. And most of the time they will talk about a solution to that or how they got through it or how much time it took or what action came about or how they gave it away or how they turned it over. You know, when I start working with a new guy, the very first thing that we try to establish is what they believe, right? What do you believe based on your behavior? Not on what you say. Do you believe that you're alcoholic? drug addict do you, do you do you even believe alcoholism is a thing right because until you establish that you can't get honest about where you want to go right like do do you believe in god like what god do you believe in like let's figure this stuff out together you know that's what i had to do was go through a process of figuring out what i believe and I look back and I believed for a very long time that I was not worthy of love. Mm-hmm. That was a solid belief in my life, mm-hmm. right? Can I change that belief? What would it take for me to change that belief? You know, because feeling like not being not worthy of love is an underlying issue. Sure. It's a precursor for self-destruction. Oh, yeah. Right. So let's figure out what you believe in. Whatever you fucking believe is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right? we know now that our beliefs can change. <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're not held to those beliefs, especially, by, by yeah, any means. especially negative ones. Like fuck. Right. Yeah. We yeah. have to get rid of them. Yeah. What if I let my parents down? What if, what if I don't believe in God and my parents raised me to believe in God? How am I going to get through this? Well, good news is I know some people that have been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm, I think I'm gay, you know? And, and, like, I don't want to come out as gay. Well, we know lots of people that have been through that. You're not alone. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't believe I'll ever have a career or get my family back or be able to make this amends. Like, <clears throat> like, let's go through what you believe and why and then figure out the solution for whatever that negative behavior is attached to that belief. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, beliefs are a huge underlying issue. Especially if you don't know what they are. Like you're just acting out on some subconscious belief mm-hmm. of self-destruction. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, self, it's a self-conscious belief, right? Or a subconscious belief, right? right? A yeah, lot like, of times. Like a lot of times we have these beliefs in us that we're not worthy of love or, or that, you know, everybody's out to hurt us or whatever the case is. And we don't even recognize that, that this is what, we're, what, what our standards are, like what what we're building our life around is these beliefs that we have in ourselves or about the world. And we don't, we don't understand that, 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 that we're dictating our life by those, you know, because we don't know what they are. Yeah. And so we really do have to go through this process of figuring that out. That's why you're, you know, you're, you're great enough to ask these individuals, like, 
let's let's get down to the nitty gritty. Let's, right let's, off the rip. Yeah, let's let's look at this stuff. Like let's do the hard stuff first. Yeah. Figure out what it is we're actually trying to change. Yeah. Because we know that this is 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 what's making up your belief structure, and this mm-hmm. is what's dictating your behavior in a certain sense. And so, um, what a great way to start that, you know, to sure. start that relationship. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can we can address our underlying issues, right? Like, I think that for me, you know, like I I am an avid believer of therapy. You know, Mm -hmm. so I do go to therapy and I have a therapist that I work with and, you know, like we're able to determine, you know, certain things that may have happened at certain moments in my life that may have dictated this survival pattern or, or, or that false belief, you know, or this, you know, sense of, um, you know, belonging or, or whatever the case is, you know, and I wouldn't have that had I not been open-minded enough to think that that could help me. Right. Right. So I've really got to remain open-minded to the options that are there and be willing to sort of experiment Mm -hmm. and see what works for me and what doesn't. But did, did, did you just come up with therapy on your own or did somebody suggest it or did you hear somebody talking about it? Like, was there, was there a lead example that, that took you in that direction? Not specifically. Um, I think that, uh, that I'd always sort of had this sense that therapy was a good idea. Um, and, uh, and I would hear people talk about, you know, like working out those issues with therapists. Um, and that was before, like, I actually had a therapist before I went to treatment. Like that was, that was how I thought I was going to cure, you know, my alcoholism was to see a therapist. And, and, you know, it was suggested to me because I think when you, when you tell people that you are an alcoholic or that you have a problem with drugs, those people say, okay, well, we need to figure out why you have these issues. Yeah. We need to figure out why you're drinking. So let's, let's send you to a therapist. And, and I wish that it was that magical that I just figured out why I was drinking and just stopped. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't my experience, you know, and I had to go through a treatment program and stop and then address those issues. Right. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to, to do any of that until I had to, I removed the alcohol from my life. So yeah, there, there's always that one guy in the room that it's that simple for, right? Like if you have a problem with drinking, just quit. Right. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> okay. Plug in the jug. Okay. Well, what about the fact that I'm a sensitive romantic? <laughs> like, well, man up, you know, like there's, there's always this, this, and at the end of the day, you know, it does come down to these really simple solutions. Like if I want to get sober, I got to quit drinking. Okay. You know, but if I want to get happy, Mm -hmm. what is that going to be? And I think if you get, if you want to get happy, you have to get honest about who you are. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the only way to get honest about who you are that I found for me was to get honest about who I was where I came from and do the work that it takes to get to that place of pain and discomfort to figure out what I had to let go of and, you know, what I'm willing to bring into my life. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, getting better isn't necessarily adding anything to it. It's taking things away. Sure. And so, you know, there's a lot of baggage that comes along 
with, you know, the ism of alcohol ism, you know, and I, I think the ism part is the brain part of the alcohol, right? Like, like the, the disease part of the alcoholism, the ism, the part, the mental mind masturbation part that keeps taking me back to these places to try to convince me that it would be better in a different situation. Don't, don't work so hard. Take, take a break on all this healing stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. like, aren't you taking this healing a bit too far? (laughs) (laughs) You know, how many meditations are you going to do? Why don't you, why don't you stop the writing? You know, maybe, maybe you just need to take a day off from getting better. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's the ism. And so like, I have to get real honest about, all the things in my life that are uncomfortable and that includes relationships, behaviors, sexuality, you know, um, everything. I got to get honest about it and and decide what am I going to get rid of and what am I going to bring into it? Mm -hmm. So it's work, but it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate that you said that just about um, being honest, right? Because that that is sometimes the hardest thing for for me, I'll speak just for myself, for me to do is like to really, to really just get honest with myself and honest with somebody else. Like, that's the thing I really, really struggle with is like, just really telling somebody everything, mm-hmm. you know, Um, and I'm able to do it through a process, but it's not immediate for me. It is not something that I, I immediately automatically just do. I'd say I'm getting better at it, but boy, I mean, even this far down the road, like it is not an easy thing for me. There's it, it's like, it's like it gets fucking punched in the stuff. Like, like this thing, this, this need comes up to be honest. Mm -hmm. I consider being honest and this thing comes over from here and just fucking punches yeah. in the gut <laughs> boom and then i'm like oh maybe maybe i need to be quiet about this right now you can just hold on to that for a little <laughs> bit longer you know with and then and then the the fucking fight is on yeah get real no don't get real no don't get real no don't get real no don't well and it's funny because it doesn't seem to matter like how much i can recognize the 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 feeling i get when i am honest like the, the reward of being honest, the connection that I feel when I'm honest with those people around me and, you know, the connection that comes from being vulnerable in that way, oftentimes is less scary than the fear that comes of judgment. And, and that's what it is in my case is like this underlying fear mm-hmm. of judgment, like fear of rejection, like Oh, I'm not perfect, so you're going to reject me. Right. You know, because for whatever reason, I have this embedded notion in me that I have to be perfect. I don't know if any other alcoholics can relate <laughs> with, with that feeling of always having to be perfect. But, you know, like it's, it's a difficult thing for me to, to shed some light on those imperfections. Right. right. Especially in an open format. Like even here on the show, like a lot of times I'm able to, to the, on the show, I will say this is where I try and let it all hang out. You mm-hmm. know. 
And, and it's good for me in that way. And, and that's why, you know, we continue to do this in a way, or at least I continue to do this in a way. Um, one of the reasons, but you know, like that being said, like sometimes the words have a really hard time <laughs> exiting my mouth because it's just like, it, it, yeah. it it's not natural for me. It is a process. You yeah. Know? And I think that that's the other thing is like, we have to be okay with like, when we're looking at these underlying issues, like, except that it's going to be a process. Like, it's not going to be an overnight thing. Like, you're not automatically going to just increase your amount of self-worth and you don't want to drink anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that's not the case. Like, this stuff is going to keep coming back. It's going to keep rearing its head, you know, and you're still going to have to look at these things, you know, and address them often. Maybe not as often and hopefully less frequent with the more work you do, but... Just know that cunning, baffling, and powerful, just like the disease, it is still there waiting for you. Mm -hmm. Like there's still gonna be those moments even now in my alcoholism where for whatever reason, like somebody says the the right thing on the right day or the wrong thing on the wrong day, and a drink goes, Huh, I wonder if I could well, wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like luckily I can cut it off that soon now. But it's just for a moment I'll be considering like, huh. A drink kind of sounds good. Or I wish yeah. I could maybe have a drink, you yeah. know? And it's like, it, I, I'm so fortunate. And I say this, like, I, I feel completely blessed, higher power, work in the program, whatever it is that has removed that obsession from me, right, to drink. So this does not happen to me very often these days. But it, it's still there. Yeah. You know, like, I, I see people making it fun. And it's like, oh, man, like, remember when it was fun? Yeah. You know, like it was for a second, it was actually fun, you know, but these are normal people. Yeah. Or they're, uh, or they're in pain. Right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or they're in pain. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Very I know point. like I was never, I, I was, I was never big on going to the bar and talking about how miserable I was drinking. You know, I had this facade to keep up. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't know myself anyway. Right. Fuck, and I didn't, I didn't know shit about shit. About well, and that was a way to avoid finding yeah. out all the all the the way that I didn't feel safe you know all the underlying issues that I didn't want to deal with that I didn't want to look at that I thought were going to kill me you know and at the end of the day I just didn't feel safe ever yeah my whole life mm -hmm. and luckily it's better now yeah you know through a lot of work and and recognizing those doing the work to to get to the point where I can honestly admit these underlying issues are why I am the way that I am. This is the kind of work that I need to do to keep those underlying issues in check, right? They're habitual. The feelings about myself keep coming back. You know, one day it's great. The next day it ain't right. Mm -hmm. You know, thankfully I know what will not work. Yeah. 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 I, a hidden relationship, you know, going to the bar, overspending money, any of that shit, none of that shit works to make me feel safe. It always ends up making me feel fucking worse. Yep. yep. For sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, when we talked, when we opened the show, you talked about the winter blues. Yeah. And, and, you know, the conversation that you and I have shared this week, you talked about the winter blues and it's like, Hey, this is, uh, this is a part of me, right? Like mm -hmm. this, this happens, this seems to happen every year. Like this year, maybe it's not as bad as it was last year, but it's still there. Yeah. I caught it a little faster. Yeah. And so you go through this process of remembering that 
this happens every year. Every year. And it will go as well, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes it happens not during the winter. <laughs> right. Yeah, I get that, man. Like, and I can't call it. Right. I can't fucking be like, hey, I'm scheduling my depression. <laughs> be here. Put it on the calendar. I'm going to fucking be low energy on the 12th. Yeah, if it could happen over <laughs> Memorial Day weekend, that would be great. It's a four-dayer for me, so. Yeah. We just, we just use the tools and, and move past the way that we're feeling without going back to what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, I agree with that. I'm grateful that we're, we're able to, uh, to have an opportunity to look at that stuff because I, I definitely wasn't looking at any of that stuff while I was drinking no. and using, you know, no. uh, it was just a way to avoid, avoid all that, all that uncomfortable, all that disease. Um, and today, you know, like it, it, it's not always comfortable, but it's, it's getting better. Yeah. You know, for sure. I'm I'm better with it, but, um, I want to talk a little bit about Melissa. Seems to be doing a lot better. Yeah. And she, she's, she's great. Yeah. She was great. I, I loved her. I loved her story. Melissa's our war story today. Yeah. And, uh, and she has, uh, an incredible story and she talks what I love about her story is she talks about the consequences of not addressing those underlying mm-hmm. issues, you know, and what that sort of path and what that journey looked like for her yeah. when she was ignoring all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that perfection thing that you were talking about, like she could identify with that, you know, and, and she, she has a great way of like, she's definitely a good speaker. And so it's no, surprised that she, that she has her own podcast called real rehab barbie and uh it's a it's a great listen to because <clears throat> they get into you know the science behind this stuff mm-hmm. you know so but yeah really good story i i appreciate her sharing her story with us so yeah, it was great. And, and uh, with that, I'd like to, to have everybody listen to it. So yeah. without further ado, this is Melissa's War Story. Uh, hi, um, I'm Melissa. I'm an alcoholic addict. Um, I've uh, been thinking about how I wanted to tell this story, but, you know, it kind of all goes out the window when you're live. Um I think um, my alcoholism and addiction probably started when I was um, really young, but before I got into alcohol or drugs, I think I had a really low self-esteem, you know, that same like constant threat. I always felt different. Um, I didn't like being uh, the smart one. I always... um, kind of resented being the good one, the smart one, like in my family and school, all that kind of stuff. I think I had this bizarre idea that like none of that stuff mattered. Like it was more important to be popular or whatever. So I was always discounting the things about myself that, um, that were good. Um, always wanting something else to be someone else than who I was, I think. Um, you know, flash forward, as I got older, I think I went through some things that made it uh, uh, difficult to cope um, just from like an emotional standpoint, as far as just um, eating disorders, disordered eating, um, 
you know, some incidents of uh, sexual assault and dating violence. Um, and that would be kind of a pattern that would come with me uh, as I got older. But, you know, the first time I drank, I drank alcoholically. Um, you know, I drank so many beers that like I just threw up and woke up with the worst hangover uh, imaginable. But I do remember this feeling of being able to let go emotionally, right? I would become louder or I would get all these things off my chest that in retrospect were very embarrassing. Um, I was never a good drunk, right? Like a fun drunk. I was always an over-emotional drunk or um, an angry drunk. Uh, and uh, it would turn really quickly. Uh, you know, I would be fine. And then just, I would just go off the deep end, but I never could really reel that in. Um, it was uh, later um, in life that I, um, when I was, I guess, in college that I started experimenting with some, like dabbling in some other uh, dry goods, as they call them, or whatever. Um, but uh, really just the drinking into blackouts. Like I would never drink every day, but you know, I was always drinking into a blackout and, um, uh, my first, uh, like pretty serious relationship. He, um, we were always partying together a lot. And, um, I, was introduced to, um, Adderall and I don't know, like the, the more, uh, I stick around the program or the sober community, uh, the more like I hear about that as an issue. But at the time, uh, I never really heard anybody using it for anything other than studying. Um, but the first time I took an Adderall, I just remember this feeling of, um, contentment, like this is what's been missing from my life. This is, um, you know, the magic pill because it did everything for me that I always felt was inadequate. Right. So it gave me the sense of false confidence. It made it easier to drink. So I wasn't this sloppy drunk who was knocking over tables anymore. I was, um, you know, this, uh, I was confident and kind of pulled together, you know, at least at the beginning. And um, it also took away like some of the anxiety I had over, um, you know, how I used to procrastinate and this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, I was able to do my job better. I, it also took the edge off of like my eating disorder because it, made me not feel hungry. So it was really easy for me um, to feel really in control about that. Um, I think that it probably went well for like a good six months to a year. Eventually I went and got my own prescription for it because I was, um, you know, um, just using it with friends and stuff like that. Um, but when I got my own prescription for it, it's kind of when it all went off the rails. Um, you know, I don't usually share this, um, but 
uh, I don't think I've even uh, really gone this uh, deep into it when I was qualified at meetings, but um, slowly but surely that addiction took me to some of like the darkest places imaginable, which is strange, right? Because it's a um, prescription, but it was, um, it slowly started to eat away at my whole life. When I didn't have it, I couldn't get out of bed. I had two prescriptions from my doctor at the time and eventually I was buying more. I'd be up for days at a time. I was angry. Um, because it, it really gave me, uh, a lot of like fluctuations, I guess, in my personality. Um, so now at this point, I wouldn't say the drinking was kind of all out the window, right? I didn't even really think about drinking. I was just always needing to have the Adderall. Um, it started, I was weird, you know, I was constantly anxious. I was super weird. I, my family was like, had no idea what was going on with me. Um, I think they actually thought like I had a severe mental disorder of some sort because I was just um, manic and I was just out of my mind, really. I, I could never shut up. It was like this overconfident feeling. Um, eventually, I um, would uh, end up I, I should probably say it. I was living with my um, my boyfriend at the time who was also uh, doing this with me. And eventually we would break up and I would end up having to move back home with my parents. Oddly enough, and I won't get into the, the whole thing and I don't recommend this, but I would end up meeting someone online who um, it would turn out also... Um, was in, well, he was in recovery and he had an Adderall problem and he called me out on it and he asked me if I wanted help. Um, and I said, yes, because at that point, I mean, I had nothing left. I wasn't working. I could barely like get myself to take a shower. I was just so nasty to anybody who would try. I, um, you know, I, like nobody was giving me money anymore. Um, I, my life was just a mess. Um, and I was really, really alone. And I did want help actually. Like it was at the point where it wasn't fun anymore. I wanted help. Um, and so I said, yes, I want help. And he um, gave me the number for AA and he said, um, you know, call this number. And then I want you to go to this website, which was, you know, um, NNJ, uh, Northern New Jersey Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I, um, went and I found a meeting and he's like, oh, we need to go to this meeting. So I did. And then, um, and then that person, uh, you know, was really, really there for me, talked to me, um, through it every day, you know, and, and at that time I was able to get off the Adderall, but I had a really hard time accepting the fact that I had to give up everything, that I was an alcoholic. And um, that would be a pattern that would happen for about five years, right? So I spent about five years on the Adderall, and then I spent about five years trying to do it my own way. I would go in and out of AA every once in a while. Like I would stay off the drugs, but then 
I would go back to the drinking and then I would have like a really bad night or do something really stupid. And then I would go back to AA. Like I was using it as like this, um, uh, like this crutch, like this medication to just make it better for a day. Um, you know, no easier, softer way they say. And, uh, I tried to find an easier, softer way. I also became really codependent on that relationship uh, which was in and of itself, we don't have time to get into that, but a really weird relationship. And um, so I wasn't dealing with any of the things, those underlying things that really probably fed into my um, addiction and alcoholism to begin with. And um, when that relationship, oh, and I would go, I would like, I think I probably got a 90 day coin, like, three times but none of those times did I ever have 90 days I like one time I think I got to 87 days and I didn't even need it but I had a glass of champagne at a wedding like just cause you know like fuck it I don't care um so I uh you know I finally when that relationship that I was in when that person who I thought you know saved me when that relationship slowly started to fade away um, you know, and in the interim, while I wasn't doing AA right at all, I had managed to build my life back up. I, um, you know, I'd failed out of school, you know, when I'd started dabbling in drugs in college. Um, but also because I was also from some of the traumas that I experienced, I think I was always using that as a crutch. So I, um, like the drugs and the drinking and stuff. And, um, I went back and I got a paralegal certificate and I started working and I, um, you know, eventually like I moved out of my parents and I was doing pretty well. Right. I was doing everything except getting sober. So when I lost that relationship, I was like, um, I, I think I finally had to come to terms. Like it was just, it was uh, that year between that person being out of my life and when I would finally go to rehab was just this slow downward spiral, one thing at a time of me making all of those little bad decisions. And before I knew it, I was um, using cocaine, you know, I, I guess somehow I thought that was better than going back to the Adderall. I, I don't know. We tell ourselves all different kinds of things. Um, but within a couple months, I was uh, using it every day. I was leaving AA meetings and buying it, you know, going and like I texting, you know, asking for it in a meeting. Um, and I eventually, um, you know, I had, uh, I, I woke up one day, it was the 4th of July. Um, I didn't have uh, work that day. And I was in this panic and this, and I'd been using it, using all night, you know, alone. And that was the thing too. I preferred to use alone. And just because that I think made me feel safer. And I, um, just like speaks to like how I was, right. It's like such a social thing, but like, I just wanted to be alone and do it by myself and hide. Um, and, you know, I think everybody who's used it before knows that that next day, you're, when you start coming down, like, you feel, and already as, like, a person who deals with depression and stuff, like, I just was, uh, 
I was so remorseful. I was so sick of waking up like that or of making those mistakes. And uh, I basically just texted my mom and I said, you know, I need help. Um, and uh, she said, your father's going to come over. Um, so my dad came over and um, I said, I, I need to go to rehab. And uh, they were really great about it. They were like, okay. And my sponsor from AA, who I'd kind of, you know, ditched numerous times, had recommended me going to rehab. And so she gave me a recommend recommendation of where to go. And the next day I uh, was getting driven up to rehab. You know, I think that if I had waited a day and probably, um, like let all of those feelings of remorse wash over me. I probably wouldn't have gone to rehab, but I'd been around the program and everything so long that I knew I had to do it while I was in that feel that state of remorse, you know? Um, and so uh, I, I, I knew just the way that I was, I had to get away from everything, even alcohol for at least 30 days because I had such a hard time putting that down. It's what I, it's the one thing I always said, I, I, I didn't really have a problem with. Right. But it's the one thing I could never let go. And it's the one thing that always led me back into these bad decisions. And I knew that if I stayed home a few days later, I'd be back in the same boat, you know, drinking and doing whatever. And I just wanted it all to end. So I, uh, I went, to rehab and it ended up being one of the best experiences of my life. I think I was really lucky when I got there. I was with a great group of women. I um, They treated a lot of uh, co-occurring disorders. So I was able to finally uh, start getting help for the other issues that I had that were probably um, fueling a lot of this and learning so much about uh, the science behind it. And how, you know, my body reacts differently to, to alcohol and drugs than somebody who's not an addict or an alcoholic. And, um, you know, uh, all the genetic factors and just everything. You know, my, my uh, alcoholism runs in my family. Addiction runs in my family. All that kind of stuff. Uh, but I was just really lucky to be with a great group of women that made it so much better. And uh, I... I felt actually really safe there, you know, turning off from everything in the world. I was really able to focus on, um, you know, on sobriety. And the first week was awful. I really regretted being there. But as, uh, as the days went on and like, you know, I was getting cards and letters from my family every day and it was just so nice. And that kind of gave me the strength to keep going and, you know, and I, um, I signed up for an aftercare program, which is something I really advocate for. I don't think insurance companies or anybody really understands that once you get out, like you need like a, a real support system. And I was really lucky to be able to have that. Um, but, you know, I, the aftercare was like a breathalyzer that I voluntarily blew into like twice a day and uh, random drug testing and things like that. Like I knew I had to really put the work in, into it. And, you know, when I came out, I 
um, you know, called my sponsor and I started going to meetings and I started doing the work. And I have to say that it has been, you know, I have like a year and a half about now and it's been one of, it hasn't been a walk in the park. I think that, um, but the way that I've been able to deal with everything has been in and of itself a miracle because, you know, a few months in, we ended up, I think maybe like eight months in, uh, you know, the pandemic hit and um, I, my hours got reduced at work. Um, I'm also back in school. And so I've been able to handle work and, you know, I'm in a combined uh, bachelor's master's program, just getting uh, uh, straight A's and just little things like that. Then the pandemic hits and, you know, I'm living alone and um, my finances took a huge hit. My hours got reduced and, you know, there's a liquor store less than a block away. There's a, there's a bar right down my street. There's, so many things that could have gone wrong to make me take a drink. Um, but I was really able to uh, handle everything, all the bad things that came my way this year. They never were an excuse to give up. And I think so much of that comes from um, a willingness to not want to uh to not want to go down that path again, just because I, I know what's there. You know, I, I don't think I could have managed the still having the life I have right now, if I were still drinking and using, you know, I would have been a mess. I would have been, um, I would have definitely, um, with being home and like working from home, I think I probably would have been drinking every night. You know, I, I don't think I would have been able to hang on to the things that I've been able to hang on to through this. And uh, I love the Zoom meetings that I'm able to to do from home. And I think just how proud my family is of me and, and how proud I am of myself. Like, you know, I, I think I was able to be successful this time because I, I made the choice for myself. I wasn't hanging on because of a codependent relationship that encouraged it. I wasn't doing it because I didn't feel like I had any other options. I did it because I didn't want to lose everything that I'd gained over, you know, the last few years. And um, I don't know. I think there's definitely hard days, but um, even my like emotions and like my depression and my anxiety, all that stuff is so much better. So I'm not putting anything else in my body that is, you know, setting that stuff like off kilter. Um, so is it perfect all the time? It's not, but is it better than, um, my, I'm going to wrap up now. Is it, is it better than, you know, waking up hungover? Is it, better than like that constant state of anxiety every day is and it just keeps getting better and it does get easier you know um i was just uh my friend claire who is also going to speak um after me she's my partner for a podcast that we do and we were just talking about how like yeah there's still really um bad days the beginning was really hard but it does it gets so much easier and it gets easier, especially like when you have 
um, a support system or, you know, things in your life that can really help pull you through, you know, and uh, speaking of our podcast, if you guys want to follow it, we talk, uh, it's called Rehab Barbie. We're on iTunes and I think Spotify, you can pretty much find us anywhere. Uh, you could also check us out on our website, which is rehabbarbie.com, and you can get all the links to our social media pages on there. Um, we really mainly talk about, um, you know, the science of addiction and like all the different things that go into that and some fun stuff too. So um, if anybody's interested or you're struggling, feel free to check us out. We'd love to have you. But um, that's really all I have to share. I hope that that helps somebody out there. And thanks for your time and thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it does get better with time and support. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, sure. she, she was a great <laughs> reminder of, there was so much with her story that I resonated with, but it was, it was a great reminder when she talked about like, just telling her parents, I need rehab. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and like, we know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More, more than likely, you know, but yeah. like that, I, 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 I remember being to that point where it was just like, this is what I got to do. Yeah. This is it. I like, I, I, I need the help. Yeah. And just being so passionate about it with like an exclamation point. I need this help exclamation mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And, and you know, the drugs take us to places that, that aren't us obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I mean it is us, but like I couldn't imagine her being just angry and unpleasant. Like, but I can, like right. I get it, you know, because being fucking strung out is miserable and and everything is so intense like i can identify with with that anger and and just being short and snappy with people and just not you know just being bad to be around you know and and all those things that led up to that point um you know i was before i before i got strung out on opiates you know i was using my wife's opiates mm-hmm. you know until i got my own prescription right. and then once i got my own prescription it was kind of the same fucking thing like okay yep and that led me off into into heroin and and like it's really common you know at first this is the magic pill right right yeah i could identify with that mm-hmm. yeah me too me too man like and 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 i have a similar experience and with with pain pills and you know Adderall was my last my last relapse mm-hmm. you know it was a one day thing but now, it was still were you, you were prescribed Adderall as a kid I right? was I was on Adderall for 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 many many years without abusing it right and then you know it just it it got the better of me I I one day took too much accidentally and then all of a sudden I began to feel what too much Adderall feels like and so just one day, you know, I had yeah. 18 months at that point and, uh, and just one day, just boom, mm-hmm. you know, luckily I was able to, to nip it. Um, but still it's, it's a part of my story. I, I, I get, you know, that feeling yeah. that comes from, from, you know, the satisfaction of feeling comfortable in your own skin because she talks about those underlying issues, right? Like she had low self-esteem as a kid, like you know, she had an eating disorder, which is, is another way of sort of yeah. dealing with all this stuff. Right? Yeah. Like it's, it's always fascinating to me to hear about um, alcoholics with eating disorders. Yeah. It's, I, I really wonder what the percentage is of, of alcoholic or addicts that also have some sort of eating disorder. Yeah. You know, because I feel like it's it's 
it's such a common thing. Like we're always looking for something, something to make us feel like we're okay being us, yeah. you know? And, and to think that there's not underlying issues that go along with that is, is crazy. Yeah. You know, she liked to use alone. I Yeah. You know, who wants to run out? Well, who wants to run out and who wants, I don't want the rest of the world to see me that way. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're like a blackout right. user or something like that, you know, that's just, you know, it's just such a bad place to be at. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's how it felt for me. And like, luckily, like, you know, I, I didn't have to always go to that point where, you know, like I, when I was out and about with my friends, like I would leave those situations that with them drinking to go be by myself so I could drink the way that I wanted to. Right. Without judgment, without criticism, without them telling me no, without them taking my car keys, without, you know, like I... Treating you like a baby. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> I know what I'm doing, you know? And, like, I I just am so grateful that, you know, she had that opportunity. And, and I loved hearing that part of her story of what it was like when she was, quote, unquote, going to meetings and doing recovery without addressing those underlying yeah. issues doing everything but staying sober right you know doing all the things but stay, like what did she uh she had 87 days and then yeah and then for she, whatever reason i'm yeah. gonna have some champagne why not i'm at a wedding of course i'm gonna have champagne <laughs> got yeah. got 90 day chips and didn't deserve them yeah god that's such a blow to your gut I've been there. I've been there too. I'm not going to, I've been coming to meetings. I'm not going to admit that I relapsed again. Well, and remember what I was saying about, about, you know, broken thinking and, 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 and hearing other people's broken thinking and being like, oh man, I'm not alone. Yeah. There's another great example is with Melissa's story is like, oh man, like she thinks the way I do. Yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. And luckily she, she, you know, treatment was great for her. She, she found a great group of women that she was able to identify with that were able to walk her through the process that worked for her, you know, regardless of, of any of this stuff, you know, eight months sober COVID hit and she had all those things going on school work, you know, working on her masters, um, you know, living alone, everything that she had going on at that time. And, being able to come out the other side and, and having the podcast that she has mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. her partner, Claire. And like, it's, it's really good. They're funny. You know, it's the real rehab Barbie and you can check it out on all, all the, all the spots. You real know. rehab Barbie. Check it out on yeah. all the spots. Yeah. iTunes, Spotify, Instagram. I don't know if they got a Facebook. I don't, I don't get on Facebook much. You so. know what the Instagram handle is? Real rehab Barbie. Okay, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, awesome, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Melissa. thank you, Melissa. It was a great, it was a great story. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from it. I know I did. So, mm-hmm. thank you. Well, how do you feel, man? I feel I feel good. This was a good topic for me. I me guess too. Underlying issues. I got excited about it for a little while in there. So, yeah, I think that uh, it's it's important to talk about. Yeah. You know, the, what's the real reason? What's the real reason we're doing this stuff? Because <laughs> you know? I'm fucked up and I don't feel safe. Yeah. I like I like your statement there your eight word statement or whatever it was <laughs> perfect man well i'm happy i'm uh to be here I'm, I'm glad that we get to to share this show with uh with so many great people and and thanks again for everybody that 
that supports the show and for you know contributing with your war stories and uh, if you want you can follow us um, on instagram at the other side of hell 101 we're on facebook as well um the other side of hell 101 and uh and twitter on at t-o-s-o hell podcast you can find us there and if you're interested in sharing your war story hit us up on instagram or email us at the other side of hell at gmail.com we would love to hear from you guys yeah but with that dude let's wrap it out wrap it out how you feel i feel wonderful thank you for being here thank you buddy and remember you guys you are worth the work we will see you on the other side